Job then in the chapter 1, please, the book of Job in the chapter 1. pick up our reading in the verse 13 of the chapter. Job, in the chapter 1, the verse 13, and the Word of God says, There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went, or so went for, Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a pot's herd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips." Ending our reading there at the verse 10. Now we come to pick up our thoughts from last week as we conclude here in the chapter 1. And we noted, of course, that as these trials and troubles enter into the life of Job, that this truly was the furnace of faith. And really, as we come to consider all that we read off at the end here of chapter 1 and see the great loss and devastation that enters into Job's life, we may be tempted to ask that question, why? 
Where is God in all of the suffering and indeed in all of this experience that now enters into the life of Job? And we reminded ourselves that God was at that very moment in the same place that He was in verse 12. He was on the throne. Yes, calamity had entered in. Yes, everything had changed in a moment, but there was God always in the same place. And that reminds us that in the troubles and trials of life, we come to that God is still on the throne and He still is working all things together according to the counsel of His own will. But Job is the one being tested here. And so we see his reaction there in verse 20. It tells us that Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. He was a man with a simple faith and an unfeeling God, was he not? Oh yes, he manifested his sorrow and he manifested it openly. He tore off his robe, the Bible tells us. He shaved his head. But that was not the sum total of his reaction. For the Bible goes on to say that he fell down and worshipped. Worshipped in the midst of great tragedy. Worshipped in the midst of great trouble and trial. Job here is upon the ground before his maker, worshipping him. And doing so, surely he was saying this, let God be true and every man a liar. Notice in verse 21 that he recognizes God's ownership of all that he had. This is something that we noted in seed form already in the verse 5. For as he's standing before God interceding on behalf of his children, he identifies that truly they were not just his. Oh yes, God had given him influence. God had given him the privilege of rearing them and of being a part of their life, but he realized that they were God's. And now as he recognizes the loss, not only of his children, but of all that he had, he recognizes once more and he says, the Lord give and the Lord hath taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible tells us very clearly that he maintains his integrity. He remained upright. He did, he did still in this moment. It's stew evil just as the Bible records and testifies of at the very beginning of this chapter. But despite all that had happened, none of it changed the character. None of it changed the testimony of who God perceived him to be, knew him to be when all these trials and troubles entered in. So what do we learn, even as we view this furnace of faith and conclude our thoughts on this this morning, we learn this, that it is possible to come through the darkest of times. It is possible to come through the hardest of times, but still to retain and maintain a positive testimony. Job did. And note that the Bible here does not place an emphasis on his pain or his anguish. 
modern day writing would dictate that we would focus in on how he was feeling. Would focus in on all of how this changed what was a stability in his life. Bible gives no entrance to any such thought. The Bible reminds us at all times that his testimony was the most important thing. God is always less concerned about our happiness and he's more concerned about our holiness. Know that we would learn that lesson because it is gravely misunderstood in the generation in which we live. God desires us first and foremost to be holy, to live for him, and to maintain a good testimony. And so, yes, today trouble and trial are expected in life. Times of trouble and trial will be the experience of every believer. But trouble and trial are but God's way of purifying us conforming us more and more to the image of his own dear son. Yes, if we are ever then to be used of God, we must be refined. And to be refined means going through the fire. And it means going through the fire time after time, trial after trial. And yes, sometimes the experience is that those, that, that fire, that furnace that we are finding in life gets hotter and hotter almost to the point that we cannot bear it but remember God is still at work in our trials you may say today I don't deserve my trial and that may be an accurate statement but the Bible reminds us in James chapter 5 that we must endure our trials Behold, we count them happy which endure. Job is known for his patience. He's known for his endurance. He's willing to go through the fire. He's willing to endure. He's willing to recognize that nothing came to him except by the hand of a loving God. He was willing to agree that in all things, God is always previous. He was willing to trust the heart of God when he couldn't trace his hand, just as Spurgeon once said. He was willing to agree with Paul in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and the verse 15 when he says, all things are for your sake. And so he remains to be an example of a true man of faith who went through the furnace of fire we come into chapter 2 today, we pick up the story once more and we see that despite all that's recorded in chapter 1, things plummet to a whole new level. And so the first thing that we note off here in this chapter as we come to chapter 2 is simply this, beware of double trouble. Beware of double trouble. The one question that hangs over this chapter is why? In the previous chapter, we saw how that God identified Job as a perfect and an upright man, one who feared him, one who eschewed evil. 
And here in the third verse of chapter 2, we see that the testimony of God hasn't changed one bit. Despite all that has happened in chapter 1, God still testifies that Job is a perfect man, he's an upright man, he's one that feared God, and he's one who eschewed evil. And if we really take note of verse 3 there, we'll see as well as that, that there is an extra commendation afforded to him, because God highlights Job's integrity through it all. He says, still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And so after all the loss, after all the agony, after all the suffering of chapter 1, God simply states to the devil, to Satan himself, nothing has changed. The realities which were evident and existent in Job's life prior to all that suffering, prior to all those trials, prior to all that trouble, remains to be true right now. In fact, it's true to say that all he did go through validated who he really was. It validated this point of his personal integrity. Surely that's a challenging statement for us to consider this morning. For if trouble and trial come into our lives, even in a small measure when compared to what Job experienced in chapter 1, could that truth be said of you today? Could it be said of me? After experiencing inevitable trouble and trials of life, when the dust is settled and when reflection is made in hindsight, are we those who through trouble and trial have remained steadfast? Are we those who, despite the reality of trouble and trials in our lives, have we maintained and held fast our integrity? Have we proved to be who others thought we were or who we, who we ourselves claimed we were? Or has trouble and trial exposed us for who we really are? The shallowness of our belief and our faith in God, the lack of true understanding of the work of God in our lives, the Word of God as it's revealed to us, and the will of God being played out in our lives. That's a challenge we must respond to. God is seeking in all things to prove our testimony. To prove the worth of our claims to be His. Of our willingness to stand up, stand out for Him. Surely in this generation it's true to say that's not the truth for everybody. A trial and trouble does expose a lack, a glaring shortfall. The reality that we have said we are one thing but our lives testify to another. Today, if you're going through a trial, I remind you from a heart that loves you, 
that your trial isn't about you. It's all about him. It's the outworking of his plan. It's the outworking of his desires in your life. And the requirement that is placed upon us all in times of trial is that we endure. That we are found wanting nothing. But that patience is allowed to have her perfect work in our lives. Through it all, our integrity remains intact. Through it all, trial simply proves the reality that God is with us. This is surely true about Job. And so in the aftermath of chapter 1, a a chapter in which a good man, a faithful husband, a loving father, a good boss, someone who had it all, but now has lost it all, someone who has been plunged into unparalleled grief and agony without merit, without warning, come to chapter 2 and we read those first eight verses together and we say, surely not. Surely not more. After death and destruction, after devastation and loss have all been known, we now see that God's plan brought him to illness. And immediately we identify a man who experiences double trouble in his life. Satan was, of course, the mastermind behind this illness once more. For in verse 1, we note again that he finds himself there in the presence of God. Surely this confirms to us the truth that Revelation testifies of, that the devil is he who stands in the presence of God daily, accusing the brethren. So he comes to the presence of God, and once more the challenge is issued from God, where hast thou come from? Once more the answer is the same from going to and fro in the earth, reminding us, remember, he is the prince of the power of the air. He has unfettered access in our world, in our lives. But notice in verse 3 that God points to Job and As we've already noted, he affirms who he considers Job to be, and he reminds Satan that the plan that he, that Satan had for Job, had failed. God's plan had prevailed. Despite the wicked scheme that Satan enacted, and remember all of this is permitted by God, nevertheless, Job had come through that experience with his character intact, and his spiritual condition unchanged. Now that is a powerful truth to always hold on to. If Job came through such an experience, so can we. And we can prove God's grace. We can prove God's presence. And we can prove God's provision in times of trouble and trial. And if he came through that experience unchanged in regards to his spiritual character, so can we.
But verse 4 reveals that Satan has more up his sleeve. And this time it all revolves around the physical frame of Job. Last week we noted, of course, that the devil's a real foe. He's a real enemy. One who desires to see our wreck and ruin. One who will stop at nothing to accomplish that in our lives. As he speaks with God here, he makes an outrageous and an unsubstantiated claim. He says, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. In essence here, Satan is saying, that Joe, well, he's someone who would be willing to forfeit anyone or anything to save his own life. He would be okay with anyone else in his life dying just as long as his own life was spared. Now, everything we know and what the Bible tells us up until this point about Job proves all of that to be baseless, proves it all to be void of fact. Job loved his family. Job cherished his employees. Job had worked hard for his wealth. But nevertheless, here's the father of lies telling a lie. Here's a deceiver seeking to deceive. And this is all an example of how he works. This is the lies that he peddles. This is the mayhem and the confusion that he seeks to sow. And he says there in the verse 5, he says to God, if you will allow me to afflict his body, to bring harm to his health, I will prove to you that Job is not the man that you think that he is. In essence, he's saying once more that the last trials Job had gone through weren't severe enough. All that we read off in chapter 1, well, it wasn't enough to truly expose him for who he was. Rather, if God would permit this to be enacted in his life, then this would be the straw that broke the camel's back. In verse 6, we see that God did permit this new affliction. But once more, he sets a very clear boundary to the scope of Satan's scheme. He says, have, thy, have your own way, but spare his life. Anything but death. So here in chapter 2, Job awakens to a new day. A new day when his whole body is covered with sores. The Bible describes him as being sore boils. Modern day medicine would dictate to us they're more than likely to be inflamed ulcers. But whatever they were, they, the Bible goes on to revealed to us that they were extremely itchy. And then also, if we had it continued in the chapter, we would have read there in chapter 12, that, or in verse 12, sorry, that they also caused disfigurement. They changed his appearance. For his three friends traveled toward him, having known him 
in previous occasions in their lives and spent time in his company and enjoyed his company. Nevertheless, as they beheld him, they did not recognize him. There was a change about him, all because of this illness that God had permitted. So we see Job sitting in the ashes, reduced to dwelling in the rubbish tips of the town, suffering in an extreme fashion, and now even suffering himself personally. Double was surely his trouble. And we ask ourselves, why? The lessons we draw are surely twofold. It's already noted Satan will stop at nothing to accomplish destruction in the life of the child of God. And so today we do well to remind ourselves that our foe is a powerful one, a bloodthirsty one. Satan here seeks to compound Job's suffering. He seeks to capitalize on Job's demise, desires to break Job's will. Make no mistake about it, he will seek to do exactly in your life and mine the very same thing. There's no such thing as a time of peace in the spiritual life. We are always in the midst of a spiritual war. We are always engaged in a bloody battle, one in which the adversary never ceases to seek to draw blood, never ceases to desire to strike a fatal blow into all of our lives. But praise God, he will never accomplish that goal. Because the Bible tells us it's Christ who gives us the victory. And that is our hope and our confidence as we face the trials and the troubles of life. That greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And yes, we have to be aware of that double trouble. Yes, we have to be aware of Satan's schemes and plans. And yes, we have to be conscious of the fact that in life it's always about trials. It's always about trouble. If you're not in trials and trouble, you're about to enter into them. There's just no doubt about that when it comes to the walking, the spiritual walk. But our foe is a defeated one. And yes, he may go about as a roaring lion. And yes, he may seek to discourage us, devour us, and destroy us. But he's defeated. And Christ has already won the victory. Not only does this chapter teach us Beware of double trouble. But it also teaches us that we never walk alone. Now just in case our brother Ronnie, our little Harry, thinks I've converted to support Liverpool, I haven't at all. I've just borrowed their anthem. But the truth is, you never walk alone. 
Can you for a, a moment imagine the pain and the emotions of Mrs. Job in all of this? She had lost her home. She had lost all her possessions. She had lost her children. And now she feared losing her husband. And so she says to Job there in verse 10, or sorry, verse 9, is this not enough? Why are you remaining steadfast in your belief in God? Is this not the time whenever you should throw in the towel and curse God and die? It's interesting to note that she attacks the character trait in Job that God had identified. The character trait that set him apart, his integrity. And it's also interesting to note that she was encouraging him to do the one thing that Satan desired him to do, curse God. Now, there are commentators who suggest that in this moment she was the embodiment of Satan himself. But I don't think that we should rush to judge Mrs. Job just as quickly. Because we have to think for a moment what she was experiencing in that hour. Do we, just, do we rush to judge Elimelech when he moved Naomi and his sons to Moab in times of famine? Have we ever put ourselves in that situation where all that is real about the famine that was experienced in the days of Naomi and all that is real in the days of Job and great loss and great trial and great suffering brings with it a heart full of pain, brings with it an emotional weight that comes very much to bear upon us. And clearly here she is emotional and clearly she is speaking from a heart that's full of emotion. She's lost her home, possessions, and children. And now she's seeing a picture of her husband who is the embodiment of a broken man. Surely she's just blurting out what emotion dictates. Our trials and troubles impact upon other people. That's the reality of what we are seeing here. And how we respond in that moment impacts upon other people too. And yes, Mrs. Job here is being emotional. She is giving way to that fit of emotion and she's reminding us in that moment that we must not be too quick to pass judgment. We must not be too quick to blurt out what comes to the mind so readily in moments like that. But we are always to be careful of how we live, how we speak. Because our trials and troubles impact more than just ourselves. There's a family who watches on. There are loved ones. There are a church family who behold the trials and suffering that God permits in our lives. And I tell you this morning that once more, your testimony through it all matters much more than anything else that you face in such a moment. How you respond. 
dictates how another person will process what you're going through. You can do more harm than good when you speak out of emotion or whenever you share your opinion with those who watch and who view all that you're going through. You don't walk alone. The last thing this chapter teaches us is simply this, this old timeless truth. We walk by faith, not by sight. Job's wife articulated something foolish of that there is no doubt. It was at best a temporary solution. It was at worst a complete capitulation. But Job replies to her and says, no. Good comes from the hand of God, but so does bad. The psalmist penned it this way. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Remember we said last week, God will do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants. And so it's not just the blessings of life that we receive from the hand of a God, but it is his permissive hand that allows trials and troubles and heartache. But through it all, we are to have faith in him. Every joy and trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. We may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as He promised perfect peace and rest. Is that you today? Are you stayed upon him in the midst of your trial? Are you accepting off the joy and indeed the trials he permits? If he truly is our potter and we truly are the clay, then we must submit to him. He hasn't forsaken us. He is with us every step of the way. And he encourages us to walk by faith, not by sight. You may say, but this trial is one too many. The foe is fierce and the battle is raging and I just can't prevail. But remember the words of the Lord. As he spoke to Simon Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. We'll just sing the first verse only.
but truly may we be those who submit to God by faith in every area and in every season of our lives. Father, we're thankful that we have a God upon whom we can depend when the going is good, but most certainly when the going is bad. We're thankful, Father, that Thou art one who watches over us with tender, loving care. You know our downsetting and our uprising. You know every trouble and trial that enters in. And as Thou hast permitted it, so in that moment and that hour of temptation, Thou dost provide that grace to prevail, that strength to stand. Help us, O Lord, to cast ourselves upon Thee and submit today to the work of the potter's hand. Have Thine own way. And write Thy word upon our hearts, we pray. Bless us and do us good now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>